Hello and welcome to Abemus Papam, episode 222, Pius Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Abemus Papam. So our last Pope, Pope Paul IV, left Rome reeling from his overly zealous inquisitorial attempts at reform. Many of those he disagreed with, including prominent cardinals, had been locked up or facing legal action from the Roman Inquisition, and the Romans hated him for it. He hadn't trusted the Council of Trent, thinking it would dilute the teachings of the Church by too much compromise with Lutherans, and so the Council was still on hiatus. But for all that, he was at least not a Renaissance prince, but a real pious religious priest. Now, today's Pope was born Giovanni Angelo de' Medici, and when you hear that name, you might think, oh shoot, here we go, one overreaction to another overreaction. We had too strict of a reformer before, and now we've got another Medici, like Leo X and Clement VII, who only care about their family and only care about their power in Florence. But you would be wrong if you assume that. Giovanni Angelo de' Medici, for one, was not born in Florence, but in Milan in 1499. And his branch of the Medici family, as far as we know, has nothing to do, family ties-wise, to the Florentine family, except that they seem to have the same last name. The Milanese Medicis were a family of lawyers, but one of Giovanni's brothers, Gian Giacomo, rose to some prominence through his military service. And when that happened, the Florentine Medicis at least started to notice their, you know, quote-unquote, long-lost cousins in Milan. Giovanni Angelo, from an early age, pursued education in law in Bologna, and he served as a lawyer in Milan. Eventually, he moved to Rome to serve in the papal bureaucracy, where he met Cardinal Alessandro Farinese, who later became Pope Paul III. His brother, Gian Giacomo, was a military man and was meanwhile tied up in all the conflicts happening in northern Italy between Milan and Venice and France and the Holy Roman Empire. We've passed by it at times during this podcast because our main focus is on the church and church reform, but we're still in a period of time called the Italian Wars by historians, in which northern Italy was crisscrossed by European armies. In Rome, Giovanni Angelo was given some authority by Pope Paul III and made a civil governor in some parts of the Papal States. Between 1533 and 1539, he was the governor of four or five different Italian towns as Paul III moved him around where he needed him. In 1545, he was ordained an archbishop by Paul III, the Archbishop of Ragusa, which is today Dubrovnik in Croatia. He was then named a cardinal by Pope Paul III in April of 1549. The new Cardinal Medici was at this point officially recognized by the Medicis in Florence, who, even though he wasn't related to them at all, gave him the right to use their coat of arms. So when Pope Paul III died, Cardinal Medici was firmly in the Farinese camp during the conclave that followed, which ended up with the compromise candidate, Pope Julius III. In the papacies that followed, Cardinal Medici served in diplomatic functions and worked well, especially with Pope Paul IV, even though he didn't support his behavior of his profligate nephew, Cardinal Carafa, as we heard last week, and nor was his temperament as strict and, and, and uncompromising as the rigorous pope. But he was the kind of advisor who could tell the truth to the pope and who was not afraid of him, and he wasn't a flatterer. Toward the end of Pope Paul's pontificate, Cardinal Medici found himself stricken with a case of doubt. And when Pope Paul IV died, the cardinal was at a hot springs trying to ease the pain. He had a difficult journey back to Rome to participate in the conclave. And that conclave was difficult. It was long. It lasted from September of 1559 to December of 1559. The cardinals couldn't even meet until September, even though Pope died in August, because there was so much rioting in Rome following the death of a Pope that the Romans really didn't like. And that delay was added to by the fact there were substantial divisions between the French, Spanish, and Imperial factions. Finally, on December 26th, the cardinals settled on Cardinal Medici as a compromise candidate, and he took the name Pius IV. 
Now, the first major thing we have to talk about with Pope Pius IV was, unfortunately, his nepotism. Most of the popes at this time have fallen prey to it. We've heard it one episode after another, and Pope Pius was no exception. He used his authority and the papal treasury to marry off many of his relatives to prominent families, to bail them out when they were in debt, and to secure alliances and good prospects. But one part of the nepotism did pay off. A month after being elected pope, Pope Pius chose his nephew, Carlo Borromeo, from Milan to serve as his cardinal nephew. Now, I've been meaning to stop and do an explainer on the title Cardinal Nephew for a while now. It's an actual official title in the church at this point. And at first, it was purely just a nepotistic reality. We had tons of nephews of popes who were made cardinals, and a lot of them really didn't deserve it. But there was another aspect to it, which was at a time when everything depended on family and there were competing power centers throughout Italy, you couldn't trust anyone to serve in the papal bureaucracy and be loyal to the pope unless they were really family. The only people the Pope could really trust was those closest to him. The position of Cardinal Nephew gradually became the trusted chief of staff of the Holy See, someone who was so close that he could be trusted absolutely. And the role came to have a real component to it, uh, what we might today call the Secretary of State. Indeed, during Pope Paul IV's pontificate, the Secretary of State of the Holy See was recognized and entrusted to one of his most valued nephews. It was a nephew because the trust had to be absolute, and by this point in history, it had been really quite formalized. And that's why the strict and pious reformer Paul IV last week still picked a cardinal nephew, even though his cardinal nephew was a really bad guy. He had to have someone he could trust, even though he probably shouldn't have trusted Cardinal Carafa. And today's pope is super lucky to have picked a really great cardinal nephew in Carlo Borromeo. You have heard that name, and it's because he's a canonized saint. Carlo was the second son of Pope Pius IV's older sister. He was from a wealthy Milanese family and grew up a typical rich young kid who was destined for service in the church. His early letters showed us a spoiled kid who was angry at his dad for not giving him enough money for nice clothes or not giving his retinue enough money for nice clothes. His backup guys were not as well-dressed as he was. Despite that, he was adept at administration, and even though he was the second son, he was still put in charge of all his family's affairs. And when his uncle became pope, his fortunes changed. He was only 22 years old when he was named a cardinal. He was ordained to the diaconate and chosen to serve as a chief advisor to the new pope. He had a lot to accomplish during that time, and we'll get to it in a minute, but I want to touch on briefly how Cardinal Borromeo became a saint. Because his brother died suddenly in 1562, and it was a spark of conversion for the young cardinal who saw it as a message from God to reform his own worldliness and follow Christ more closely. And this, interestingly enough, was not necessarily what the Pope and his family wanted. When his brother died, there was a lot of pressure from both Pope Pius IV and his parents to give up being a cardinal and take over the family. But he refused, and he got himself secretly ordained a priest in 1563, and later he was consecrated a bishop. He was humble, holy, and devoted to the church and to its reform. And his uncle, the Pope, tended to be much more open and worldly than his nephew, and at times expressed concerns that his nephew was so strict and pious, with perhaps a fear that he might fall too much in the line of Pope Paul IV. But in the end, Cardinal Borromeo was tremendously good influence on him and on the church. So this was the new Pope's right-hand man, St. Charles Borromeo. But despite lucking out with such a good Cardinal nephew, the rest of the Pope's nepotism was a little egregious. He likewise acted against the previous Pope's nephews, though again, here it was probably deserved. The first Cardinal Carafa, if you remember from last week, was disowned by his uncle. And when he was told how dishonorable his nephew was, he he kind of freaked out and kicked him out of Rome. Since the election of the Pope, he had gotten tied up in a murder case and was eventually found guilty and put to death. Likewise, the Pope exiled from Rome the second Cardinal Carafa, who was 
in name Archbishop of Naples. He made him go back to Naples, and his influence was therefore less on the church. And so that was actually a positive development. And then he created a large number of new cardinals. There were 18 in one consistory, which was a pretty big deal for the time. And for the most part, they were good men and prominent in their work in the Council of Trent. And now their task was to get the Council of Trent back online. This took time and a ton of negotiation as many of the major players in the council, Spain and France and Germany, just didn't want to continue or only wanted to continue on their own terms. And the Pope had to wrangle each of the princes back to the table with vague promises and at times secret letters until finally the council was open again. The date for the opening of the council was set for January of 1562. Now when that happened, the council took back up the work that it had set down nearly a decade before and published the decrees on the reform of the church the formation of seminaries, and the residence of bishops, along with directions for the reform of the breviary and the liturgy. Then finally, the council closed its final session for good on December 3rd, 1563. It wasn't all easy going. The Pope specifically had to combat with Philip II of Spain, and that relationship didn't go very well. And then he had to balance him against Catherine de' Medici, no relation in France. But in the end, everything was concluded. He confirmed the decrees of the Council of Trent in 1564, And while reform hadn't been completed per se, it now had a broad conciliar outline of how it should proceed. And there were marching orders for future popes on to how to reform the church. As part of that effort, his nephew had zealously undertaken during the council to compose a catechism, which the pope entrusted to a commission of experts overseen by St. Charles Borromeo. The result is the book we now know as the Catechism of the Council of Trent, which was substantially completed in 1564, but not fully published until 1566. The goal of the Catechism was to provide an easy-to-access systematic text of theology to help priests in preaching, teaching, and confession. The Pope also started the reform projects on the liturgy and the breviary in 1564, but neither of these were finished, like the Catechism, during his papacy. And as reform was more and more present to him, and his old age made death more present as well, sometime in 1564 the Pope made a personal reckoning of how his papacy went. He drew up a list of successes and failures, and he was pretty honest about those, including how nepotistic he had been and how he had failed to draw together a league to defeat the Turks. On a side note, we haven't really talked about the Turks for a while, but we will be soon because they are on the march again through Eastern Europe, and they are going to be a major issue. In an attempt at personal reform, he tried to cut back on papal splendor and sent many of the superfluous courtiers away uh, from Rome. He died on December 9th of 1565, probably from a urinary tract infection. And he was buried in the church of Santa Maria degli Angeli, which he had commissioned Michelangelo to construct. He was succeeded by St. Pius V. And we will talk about him, the first pope who was a canonized saint in basically a ton of episodes, next time. Thank you for listening to Habemus Papam. You can find the rest of the Catholic Link podcast at catholiclink.org or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you and God bless you.